This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is when you listen to this. Welcome yet again to Gaming Studio Regulars. I'm James Irish, joined as always by Chrissy Harding. Hi everyone! And our special guest in the digital recording booth today is the inimitable Seth Coast. Woo! Hey! How's it going? It's going great, and today's subject is the first in our series called Know Your Irregular, where we take our reoccurring guests and poke their brains the way Chrissy and I poked each other's brains way back in our first episode. Which was very interesting. Yes, yes, I think my brain is still recovering. You poke hard. (laughs) I asked the tough questions. So we are now going to be interviewing Seth. Poor Seth, you can't run now. You're already in. And we're going to ask him some questions so we all get to know Mr. Seth Coast better. So, James, would you like to start? Well, let's get start way back in the beginning. Seth, what are your first memories of playing a video game console? Uh, Let's see. Probably the NES. So my my parents owned a a business. It was called The Camera Shop. And uh, I I used to go there all the time as a kid, basically every day, (laughs) because they were working. And uh, we had this little tiny, you know, tube TV that was up on top of a shelf. So I'm like staring almost straight up and I'd be sitting on uh, one of the, the computer chairs and, and be playing that uh, that NES. I had, uh, you know, the, the Mario Duck Hunt combo mm-hmm. and uh, Mario 3. And let's see, there, there, there was uh, Island Adventure. You ever, ever heard of that game? Oh, Hudson's yeah. Island Adventure. Yes, yes, which is a very complicated gaming lineage that if I tried to break down, I would develop a splitting headache. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a strange game, honestly, and and, uh, I haven't thought about it until just now. You know, the the protagonist of that game is based on a real person. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He's apparently he became famous for being able to accomplish 16 button presses a second. Huh. Or something around that number. Made him a minor celebrity in Japan, among in gaming circles anyway. Interesting. Hmm. You learn something new every day. Any other uh, games that come to mind uh, from that old NES? You know, I, I, I feel like those were the... Those are the top three that I can really remember playing on that back in the day uh, when I was real young. Hmm. Uh, other consoles, I you know, also had a Genesis and uh, played quite a few different games on there. I mean, you know, pr- primarily Sonic. 
Sonic 1. I had 2 and 3. I, I like 3 a lot. 2, uh, I didn't really care for 2 so much. And I honestly, I don't know if I can tell you why, uh, as an adult, I didn't care for 2 as much, but I didn't think it was as fun a game. Fair. No, I had uh, I had Aladdin on the Sega. I had uh, Batman. Man, that game was difficult. I think majority of the Batman games were, were hard, no matter what system they were on. Sounds about right. Now, what was the first uh, console system you bought with your own money? Oh, the first one I bought with my own money might might be the Game Boy Advance. Oh, that brings back memories. I, you know, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Uh, could be, it could have been. No, no, I'm pretty sure it was the Game Boy Advance. I went and worked with my my father, and uh, and he ended up paying me probably just enough to buy the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was I actually worked for it, so I think I think that's probably the first one. Okay. What what are some of the first games you grabbed for that? I mean, did you grab it uh, at launch like I did, and only had a limited selection of things like uh, the the remake of Super Mario Brothers two and the the Castlevania with the extra dark graphics, which did not help with the lack of a black of a backlight. Yeah, I uh, I honestly I, I feel like I probably got it shortly after launch, but I. I can't remember very well, honestly. Um, I definitely had the uh, the Mario that, that you just mentioned. Do, do you remember how long after the launch, um, the first, what was it, Pokemon Sapphire came out? I think oh, that was the first mm. advanced game, wasn't it? I think that was one of the first. That was advanced, but it, I, I don't know how long that that took. What was it, yeah, Pokemon I, Sapphire? Yeah, Sapphire? Ruby and yeah, Sapphire. Ruby and Sapphire. Because I, I remember playing that a lot too, but but you know I also remember playing that a lot on the uh, the Advance SP, so that might have been a later game. You know, you know, re- reaching into the past uh, is just showing how bad my memory is. Well, if we, uh, uh, Ruby well, and Sapphire up. came out and was released on November twenty first of two thousand and two. So when was the Advance released? Game Boy March two thousand one. And so it was it would be considered almost a launch game pretty early. That's pretty early in the life cycle. Pretty close anyway, yeah. Yeah. But I mean it was also still able to play uh the older Game Boy, you know, color games and everything and I'm I'm sure I played a lot of that on there too. Oh, you and me both. I, I oh, think yeah. I I only ever beat the 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 Donkey Kong remake for the original Game Boy with the with all those dozens of extra levels when i got my game boy advance i finally sat down and said okay i'm finally doing this thing after getting stuck on one of the very last levels so on that note what was the first video game you actually officially beat (laughs) um you know i i distinctly remember that sonic 3 i definitely played through all the way i had all the levels unlocked you know, I I played a lot because that game that game was two player, right? Yeah. So I ended up playing that game a lot with my dad. And, and funny enough, though, I always wanted to be the second player because I I really liked being able to play as Tails. Tails was so cute. I I can relate to the novelty of that. Whenever I was at my orthodontist, oh man, I'm dating myself. He had a Genesis with a black and white TV, and I would put in 
Sonic 2, and I would specifically play the two-player mode just so I could be Tails. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so, so, I mean, if you, you play Sonic a lot on your own, great, you're always Sonic, but being able to play as Tails, who is like Sonic, but has unique abilities, was a really cool feature, right? Yeah. Um, speaking of two-player games, okay, so uh, Kirby's Dreamland, right? On uh, it might be Dreamland three. I can't remember the number, but right, second player was Gooey. Yes. Except the difference is you never wanted to play Gooey, <laughs> right? Because because K- Kirby got all the powers, and Gooey just got to eat things. <laughs> yeah, Gooey was just there. Like it was just like, um, right. Um, what a weird design. Yes. But whereas, right, then back to Sonic, uh, Tails, again, can base... I don't think there's anything he can't do that Sonic can do, and he gets to sort of fly. He can pilot. That was, like, the one big difference. Like, they were like, oh, well, you know, Tails, Tails is the pilot. He can, he can pilot almost anything. Because they even have, like, what was it, Sonic 2, where there's a, there's yeah. a well, stage he... where he's flying the plane. Well, it's it's even in the intro, right? He he flies he flies the plane, and Sonic jumps out of the plane in the, the intro of the game. Yeah, right but, in the third game. Yeah, I guess that's probably the third game. But yeah, um, I mean, T- Tails could fly, and he could grab Sonic and, and fly him with him, which was yeah. really neat. So yeah, so I don't know that there's uh just speaking of two player games like that, where where the second player was actually really cool to play as versus in Kirby, not so much. <laughs> my uh my my cousin had that that one and so I we would play that at his house a lot and uh and I never wanted to be second player but I always was cuz it was his game naturally <laughs> yeah right. that's usually how it works them's the rules yeah it's a true statement and so sp- so switching gears just a little bit do you remember your first pen and paper role playing game experience yeah it didn't go well <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say primarily, right, 5th edition that we play is is what I what I know and and everything. But back in high school, uh, a few of us tried to play 3rd edition, and no one had ever played it before. And, and this is the downfall, right? No one knew what they were doing, and I think it came down to had we had someone who knew what they were doing, everything would have been fine. But because no one knew what they were doing, the DM... And everything uh, we we built characters, and I think we probably built them correctly. That's not too difficult. But then when we actually tried to, uh... all right. So so what he did was he created a. Uh... It was sort of just a hey, let's kind of try to figure out how to play the game, and it was a uh, like a coliseum sort of event. So it was just a combat encounter, no no role play or anything like that. And he put me. It was there was only three of us, right? So there was me and one other person against uh, a Minotaur, and I can't remember if we were only level one, but it didn't work well. I I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh it didn't work well at all, and uh, we weren't sure, right? Like oh, you know, I don't even know if it came up was was the monster too tough, but it might have been like I don't know if we even did anything correctly. Like, did we do attacks correctly? Why Why can they do so much damage and we can't? You know, stuff like that. It just didn't work well. 
And so I think I feel like we may have tried doing something else a little bit later. But again, uh, it just came down to the lack of experience. And I'm going to say not in a huge dedication to trying to figure it out. And so uh, so we got put down and didn't touch it again until fifth edition. Well, sounds like you dodged a bullet by skipping fourth. I think majority yeah. of the people would say you dodged a bullet by skipping fourth. You know, you know, I, I hear that. Um, but then people like Mike, right, uh, say how much they actually did like fourth. Uh, Fair enough. So I don't know. Just, it just sounds different. Well, you know, it's I, I look at it this way because everyone, com- everyone who I knew who played D&D, um, I set out fourth edition. That was like kind of like the gap in my in my D and D D and D life. I didn't play it. I didn't look at it. I was just like, uh, I got. I had way too much going on at the time, and I, everyone complained and just trashed fourth edition. And then when fifth edition came out, and then people were like, Oh my god, this is worse than fourth. And I'm like, Well. When you sit there and trash somebody's stuff, they decided to really give you something to cry about. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> you all complained about fourth. They said, okay, fine. Here's fifth. Stop complaining. We can be worse. But I like fifth edition. I don't have a lot of uh, complaints about fifth edition. I mean, I think I think it, it plays well. Mm-hmm. The rules are straightforward enough that you can easily bring someone who doesn't know how to play into the game and they can, you know, sort of figure it out. I don't know. I feel like fourth edition, from what I've heard, is very rules heavy. And I'm going to say the same thing with like Pathfinder, I hear is very rules heavy. And uh, fifth edition, I would say, is not rules heavy, right? There's a lot of a lot of interpretation that's left up to the DM for exactly how they might want to do something. And they have rules in there, right, for encumbrance and stuff like that. And I find at my table, we generally don't use it. Um, I, I read a lot about 5th edition. A lot of other people don't use it either. So I, I feel like the, the way that 5th edition is set up, it's very much, uh, you know, take what works for your table and, and use it, tweak things however you need. I don't, I don't really see a lot of the hate against 5th edition. What, whatever edition, there's always going to be haters, so... I wouldn't read too much into that. Sure. I'm going to definitely echo in agreement that point about Pathfinder. That thing, I want to call it a behemoth, but it's more like more like one of Pathfinder's own goblins where they're these little runty things filled with teeth. And I feel like each one of those teeth is yet another complication that Pathfinder will throw in your way. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, speaking of 4th edition, uh, th- th- there's this guy that, uh, he's a YouTuber. His name's Matt Colville. If you haven't heard of him, look him up. He's, he's great. He does uh, running the game videos and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I learned a lot from watching his stuff. And I don't necessarily use everything he says, but, you know, uh, they're very good videos. But so anyways, this morning even, he, he was talking about, he's, he, he's actually playing 4th edition again. Uh, he just started yesterday maybe i don't know but he was talking about how how much better it is as a dm to craft encounters in fourth edition than it is in fifth edition and so he didn't actually go into why but there were a bunch of comments and he'll probably actually post a why later he might actually do a video about it but uh a lot of the comments were it's it's because the enemies aren't uh they're not generic they have roles 
so I, I think it's instead of like saying, all right, I have five goblins and I'm going to say that this one has a bow and this one has a sword. It's no, no, no. There's a special bow or archer goblin and there's a special tank goblin. And you would use those special monsters on the field instead. And, and I think because fourth edition seems to be a lot more mat and mini based, it might be more fun to craft an encounter just based on placements of, of, monsters and whatnot again that's kind of just going off comments so it sounds like it could be a fun system as long as it's run well okay you know what i think i remember that aspect of it when i was playing and you know i i don't i didn't dislike fourth edition it's definitely a lot different from what i would expect from dungeons and dragons i think my biggest point of comparison to that would be it was kind of like D trying to do world of warcraft yeah and i i've heard mm-hmm. that too Tying things back into our previous episode. This is known as a throwback, and we're throwing back to previous episodes. Go watch them. Now. <laughs> so, uh, I have I have on my desk, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, uh, a totally different game, that's a tabletop game, called Rollmaster Classic. I have all of the, all of the books for it. Just waiting uh, until people can get together again so I can run this one. Some of the things it does differently from D&D. Okay, so so I guess since we're talking D&D, 5th edition, I'll tell you some of my complaints about it. Okay. okay. The, the way that the game works when you're level 1, I love that. You go into a counter, it's deadly, right? It's, it's a toss-up. Will everyone survive or not? You have to play it smart. You have to make choices of, hey, there's five of us, but we know because we've scouted out or whatever. There are 15 goblins up there. 15 goblins for five level ones is... That's a lot! Probably, right? It's probably death, right? So you have to make choices on do we even try to engage? Do we run away? Stuff like that. But by the time you get to around fifth level, that goes away. About fifth level is where players become safe. They get so many health points, and they get so many tools at their disposal that they become very hard to kill, right? And and as a DM, I don't want to kill them, right? That's, that's not my goal. I'm not trying to kill players, but I do want players to feel agency, right? I want them to have that sort of, hey, we need to be smart about things. We need to make the right choices. And if we don't make the right choices, you know, we have to live with the consequences, whatever those consequences might be. And by fifth, by, by like level five, a lot of that goes away. You know, the same thing, uh, five level five characters against 15 goblins, right? The goblins didn't change in level. That's not, that's like not a contest. You're probably going to take them out in one hit each, and they might not even be able to hit you. And if they do, they're going to do so little damage that who cares? Let them beat on you for five turns. It's not going to matter. So in comes Rollmaster Classic. And the way that this game works is players and enemies do not have hit points. All right, so so let, actually, let me preface this. This game is from the '80s. It's they don't have anything new, right? I don't know that anything has been developed for it since the '80s. So it's it's definitely an older style tabletop, not a newer style tabletop, right? But enemies and players have hits. They have so many hits they can take before they're you know knocked down or unconscious or dead. And so you do gain more hits the higher level you get. 
but it's not this it's not in the same way that health in in D D is where it just becomes a large pool but there's another system in, in play here too and it's called the critical system so in D D, right you get a critical it's kind of lackluster you might do double damage right you might you might mm-hmm. not if you're rolled poor because right in fifth edition it's roll your damage dice twice in this game there are tiers of criticals, right? So you can do an F tier, which is the worst, or you can do an A tier, which is the best. And each tier of critical has categories of uh, what it does. And let me take one second and see if I can't find a critical chart in the Arms Law book, um, just so I can just so I can read one off. So this is a uh, a critical table. Actually, sorry, it's a critical fumble table. Ooh. Yeah, so there's because we've all like done that, that. right? And fifth edition doesn't have that that concept, and I actually don't want fifth edition to have that concept. So this is a martial arts strikes critical strike table, right? So there's A column, B column, C, D, and E. So when you roll a crit, you roll again, okay, and that determines where on the crit chart you you uh, you fallen on. So if you're a D, right, which remember, D is fairly low, mm-hmm. and you rolled a 1 to 5, plus 2 hits. Okay, it's still a crit. You've now taken 2 hits, right? Actually, plus 2 hits. If it's a 6 to 10, it's now plus 4 hits. That's pretty uh, pretty standard. Nothing super interesting there. But let's go a little bit further. If you roll a 46 to 50, it now becomes a chest strike. Foe is stunned for 2 rounds. It, it's very specifies broken ribs the foe is now at negative 10 and plus three hits all right so it becomes more interesting that stun is you know for two rounds is a lot right yeah broken ribs can play into role play because the broken ribs doesn't necessarily hinder your ability to do anything right there's there's no rules in there saying if your ribs are broken you take a minus you know, five penalty, that's not a thing. But now all of a sudden it's, it's adding in role play elements to the combat, which is sometimes difficult to do. Let me, and again, this is in the D column. If I, if I go down to a higher level crit on that table, the open handed blow to the foe's Adam's apple in parentheses neck crushes the windpipe. The foe will die in 18 rounds from shock and asphyxiation. Oof. So that's a crit that can directly cause a death. Now it's 18 rounds, and I'm going to say, you know, it's not a guaranteed that they're going to die, right? Uh, there should be there should be ways to prevent that person from suffocating at that stage. Um, but again, that's in the D column. So when you go higher up, different things can happen. I mean, I'm just reading random one, break two fingers is a thing, or uh, you can this is, I guess, martial arts, but if we're in, like, the, the sword, right, you could, like, chop someone's arm off. And again, as as a player going against a level one goblin, they could, right, low chance, they could get a crit and cut your hand off. Right? And mm-hmm. so I feel like, I feel like that adds a whole extra element to the game that uh, fifth edition lacks. What do you guys think on that? That's that's deep. It yeah, it is deep. And and then at that point too, right? 
So if your hand gets cut off, they absolutely have mechanisms in place to find, you know, you could have a healer who can repair that. And, 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 you know, uh, they have, uh, it's, it's bone healing magic and like tendon healing magic. Right. So you could reattach the hand and then you'd be fine. But let's say you can't reattach the hand for whatever reason at that point. Right. You have to make the choice. Is this character worth playing in still? Or should they retire? Or are they going to be this cool, uh, you know, crazy character who attaches a chainsaw and has a boomstick? <laughs> boomstick. Well, while we ponder uh, fantasy characters with chainsaws and boomsticks, we're going to take a very short break. And when we return, more discussion with Seth. Welcome back, and we are still talking with Mr. Seth Coast, and uh, we're going to transition from uh, our talk of RPG systems, which, by the way, I'm trying to find some Rollmaster stuff on uh, Drive-Thru RPG, and I I guess they don't have the core rules up on there just yet, if at all, because I'm seeing a lot of, supp- of unusual supplements, but no- nothing... Uh, Nothing that's going to get me familiar with the rules for when I, for if and when I eventually join you for that. So, so I actually think I bought this off a of drive through RPG. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's on there. So if if you're on drive through RPG, yeah. Um, you can search for Rollmaster Classic. Um, they have the character law book, the spell law book. They have um, creatures and treasures, and they have arms law. And I have I have all of that. So I, I would definitely say. That when when eventually we give this a go, I, I pr- probably I'm going to have a smaller group just because it, I don't understand the systems and no one else does yet either, right? So keep it keep the group a little smaller. But also I'll probably photocopy charts and stuff out of the book, so I don't know that everyone needs to have a book. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm perfectly happy buying a copy so there's a second one around the table. Okay, because anyone wants to see it, yeah. All right, so uh, so James, let's talk about that later. Uh, what's next on our agenda? Well, we're going to keep it in the tabletop realm by asking, what's your favorite character you've or characters you've played in a tabletop game? Take oh. as much time as you need on this one, because I'm sure you've I, got a lot. I, I mean, honestly, right? Um, I have played only a handful of player characters, but I've played a ton of DM characters, right? Uh, just NPCs. Well, then tell us about your favorites of those, then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, my, I, I guess let's start with the player characters, right? I, uh, I actually really liked the very first character that I played in the 5th uh, the edition, the bundle. Uh, I can't remember what the bundle's called, right? But that, that first uh, Lost Minds of Fan, Fandelver with uh, the pre-gen characters. Okay. I created a, uh, an elf wizard. And I really liked that character. Uh, that was, I'm going to say, the first time I really played D&D. And uh, trying to get into the, the roleplay aspect was, was interesting and fun. I have a lot of mem- 
memorable, I guess, moments, I'd say, just from playing that character, even when I didn't really know what I was doing. As for characters that I sort of enjoyed playing as a DM, I'm sure, I'm sure James, you'll remember, uh, there was a character who was a very redneck ranger called Buck. Yes. Yes, I remember Buck. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I did, I did a very redneck accent for him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh I had I had uh pretended to basically have, you know, like a <laughs> like a bunch of chew in your mouth or something so you're not fully enunciating your words correctly <laughs> or whatever. I I thought that was kind of fun to play. That accent though, if you don't practice it, it's gone. I I could not do it today. Um I also I I really liked playing there was uh I'm not going to remember the character's name, but there was a there was a wizard dwarf who was a bit eccentric, and uh, he was not a morally good or morally bad character. I um, remember this one, but he isn't al- <laughs> he, he isn't alive anymore. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go according to plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean the. I don't know how much you want to get into the gist of, I guess, in campaign, the story of what was happening. But that that character, he he was really put, he was really put into the world as a um, a mechanism for player choice and to deal with outcome of player choice, right? And he he clearly wasn't good, but he clearly wasn't bad either. And I'd say he probably leaned more good than bad, but what he was doing was utilizing the energy from another creature and this other creature was was a uh, a very evil entity right it was uh, I, w- I wouldn't call it a ghost but it was more of a spirit a spirit of the forest you could say maybe and a forest was, fiend yeah uh, maybe right I- I'd say it doesn't necessarily fall into a classical sort of D&D archetype of a, of an enemy uh, you know, I, I built it from scratch and everything, but um, and and it went through transitions, right? It actually that that combat encounter that that you guys eventually went through started as you were fighting a ghost-like creature that then became corporeal. But he was harnessing its its energy, and you guys did find out about that, and you uh, you basically made the decision that that's not an okay thing to do, and then you were in turn going to utilize some of its power in order to get out of the time forest, right? Eventually the mirror broke, uh, releasing the spirit. But I thought that was a really fun character to play because, because you guys talked about it. Uh, you, you talked about what, what you should do with this character. Are they good? Uh, can we trust them? That sort of uh, thing. And that's, and that's what I really like doing is I like putting in characters who who drive the story, right? And I, I didn't know what was going to happen, right? I, I don't do any sort of railroading, at least I don't intend to. So so a lot of times I might have uh, a rough outline for what the character's doing, why they're there, maybe who they are, but not necessarily what they're going to do, right? What they're going to do always sort of changes based on what the players do. Um, and so I really like that one. I still contend that imprisoning something against its will to to use to your own ends, even if that thing is clearly a danger and clearly evil, 
that is not a good act. Right. And I would agree with you. <laughs> but, and and I, I would say probably everyone agreed with you, right? I mean, that was part of the discussion of what had happened. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but at the same time, I think the, the outcome was that you guys were just going to go along with it, utilize the power and get out. S- someone smashed the mirror. I don't quite remember who it was. It was John's character. Was it? Yeah, he, he smashed that mirror. When when you guys were trying not to, right? You were trying to be very careful about it. So that triggered the whole encounter, right? You could have skipped that whole encounter, the whole thing. He could still be there. He could still have been a character that, that could come back to play. Uh, the, the time forest. Uh, also, I mean... I don't know if this will ever show up again, but do you remember how, how the, the entity died? Uh, that, that escapes me, I'm afraid. All right, so, so I will tell you how the entity died. So you're fighting, you're fighting, and then it tries to escape, right? It's, it's near the end of its life. Um, I feel, again, this goes back to that D&D 5th edition. Once you get so high, characters become very, very strong. I feel like it didn't do a whole lot of damage to you guys. Um, it had some interesting mechanics. It had some minions that sort of showed up that were more of a hindrance than anything. But I don't think it did a ton of damage. And you guys were doing lots of damage, especially the paladin, right? Paladins yeah. paladins do a lot of damage, especially with uh, being able to do multiple smites and everything. And And so anyways, it was almost dead. And it decided it was going to escape, right? It had freedom. It was no longer entrapped within the mirror. It had gained its corporeal body back, which which was a big deal to it. And it opened a portal. And and I guess to fill in a little more detail, the players are already in a side world, a side dimension almost, uh, that they, they went through a portal to get to. And this portal, uh, they don't know where the portal opened to. They didn't, you know didn't investigate that they didn't have a chance to the entity started going through the portal basically the portal opened on the ground it started going through the portal and then the cleric essentially unlocked a new cleric ability which uh which was planned for them to get which was close lesser planar rift and she used it and so that planar rift that portal shut well part of the creature had gone through it. That part of the creature got cut off. And so then you guys finished off the creature. So we just got to hope this creature doesn't regenerate like a tube worm. And so that's a thing that, right? No, no one talked about, but that that's a thing, right? Half, not maybe not quite half part of that creature did not die at the hands of the players there. It might be dead, right? Maybe maybe its leg can't survive on its own, or maybe it can regenerate. We don't know, but that's uh, that, that's maybe for another time. And again, even even if it did survive, right, it might not have made it into the normal material plane. It could have gone anywhere. Now, I actually want to talk about uh, the one time I dungeon mastered for you when we were playing the the Margaret Weiss Marvel superheroes system. Okay. Everybody had picked X-Men characters except you. I, to my relief. And then I cringed when I realized you were playing Doctor Strange, one <laughs> of the most powerful characters in Marvel. Yeah, um It is tough to write encounters that he can't just shut down. 
I'm going to tell you, I, I, I really felt like, like my character broke the game a little bit. We didn't really have many hardships. Oh, we want to go somewhere? Okay, I'll just teleport us there. I'll open a portal. I can throw, uh, you know, the, the chains of binding on enemies. Uh, there's yeah, all the Crimson Bands of Ciderac. Right? It, essentially, he, he can do anything you can think of. Right? Um, Basically. So, so I, I enjoyed playing that character because you could get real creative with it. There were definitely things I did more frequently than other things. But, you know, that, uh, that system is also... I, f- I feel, uh, without ever running it, just and only playing it that one time, I feel like that system is a hard system to be a... Uh, to, to craft a fair encounter. Because all the players are superheroes. They're not, they're not ever like a level one adventurer, right? They're all a superhero. They might not be, um, I, right? I think that system has levels, right? You level your character up. And sort they get, of. They get like more something. But it, at the end of the day, they still start off as a superhero. Whereas the, the minions that you're fighting against aren't superheroes? Uh, or or they, they might be, I mean, not heroes, right? Supervillains. You know, th- th- this is going to be your your standard henchmen, your aim beekeepers, your hydra grunts, and what have and, you. And for the most part, right, superheroes should just tear through them. And I felt like we did. I felt like it was um, it was almost always not not that much of a a conquest when when we would when we would win because for the most part they. You know, they weren't super-powered to anything. And, Part of and the so problem I, was I was not using one of the mechanics to allow the villains to bounce back. I only stumbled upon that at the last session. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm sure uh, it could be more, uh, more balanced. And, and I would say the, uh, the end, right, when we ended that, Definitely had more of a challenge to it, but we were, I mean, we were fighting stronger foes at the same time. Yeah, it was a combination, uh, just so Chrissy knows. uh, Mm -hmm. I had a version of the Intelligentsia, which consisted of Modoc, the leader, Mr. Uh Sinister, Baron Mordo, and Dr. Octopus. Oh, dear. Now, uh, just, I mean, so everyone's aware, Dr. Octopus was busy with tacos. Yes. What? (laughs) Oh, I, I think oh. I told you this story, Chrissy, that the Deadpool's taco truck. Yes. Yes, you did. And I thought that was the greatest thing ever, was Deadpool's <clears throat> taco truck. With the specialty of chimichangas. Yes. Yeah, yes. And, 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 and so, like, between my character and then having Deadpool, right, I, I, <laughs> I honestly feel like we, we gave you a, a, a quite the challenge. So many people who can walk through walls and get through walls and teleport. And then for the second campaign, which has yet to materialize, John wanted to switch from Gambit to Nightcrawler. Oh, boy. (laughs) It it makes creating puzzles, which is already a tough thing in a superhero campaign, even (laughs) harder. Yeah. Although now I have this idea, and I'm going to have to... uh, now I have an idea for what I for what I could do for some puzzles, and it wouldn't be 
it wouldn't be tied to the game's mechanics itself, but I'm going to have to keep that a secret. Sure, sure. Because, after all, the people who are likely to be playing are likely to be listening to this podcast. True. That is actually an extremely true statement. All right. Uh, so, Chrissy, you pick the next question. All right. What was the first game you ever raged quit? Oh. Um, hmm. Told you. I, I asked the hard questions. Yeah, I... I... I don't know if it's the first one, but I definitely rage quit Sekiro. <laughs> what was it that made you rage, rage quit it? Like, what actually was like the thing where you're like, "That's it, I'm done." Are Are you familiar with uh, Sekiro? I am actually not. So you Neither might have to give us some background. It's uh, it's it's not that old of a game. I mean, it's well, m- maybe at most four years old now. Mm-hmm. It's created by uh, FromSoft, so you know. Think of think of Dark Souls like, okay. Um, I already see where this is going. But it's but it's it's not Dark Souls, right? You don't you do not create a character. You do not choose. Do I want to use magic or do I want to use two handed swords or whatever? No, it's uh, it's more of a story focused sort of game where you are playing the wolf. That's the character, and you're basically a ninja, right? Mm-hmm. The combat is is very technical in the sense that it's all based around the parry system, uh, parry and certain kinds of dodges, and you can't just go in, you know, sword sort of blazing, if you will, uh, because they will also parry you back and whatnot. So you have to you have to you have to put pressure on the enemy because they have a they have a, a stagger bar. And if there's no pressure, that stagger bar builds back up, and it builds back up fast. So mm-hmm. you have to keep pressure on them, but you have to be very quick on the the parries, and you have to you have to learn their whole move sets. And it is very expected that you will die on bosses multiple times. Is now, this like why... a pick up and die game? Because it sounds like a pick up and die game. Oh yeah, you you die a lot, but but again, when you die, um, as in Dark Souls, right, you respawn at your last bonfire, essentially, right? Um, all the enemies are are back to life, and you have lost your souls. Uh, and it wasn't called souls in this game, but then you can go and find your souls, you can pick them back up, and you use those to level up and everything. Well, I I actually, I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was fun, but I got to, I got to a point where um, I, I feel like it, there was a boss that I fought him a couple times, I didn't do so great, and then I was like, "All right, let me backtrack because you don't. It's not a linear, you know, path. There's all sorts of different ways you can go, and you can go actually fight bosses totally out of order. There's actually no order, right? It's it's a very open sort of system, and uh, and I decided that I was going to fight some of I'm going to call them mini bosses, right? Because the mini bosses drop an item that when you get so many of them, you craft them into HP upgrades, right? So you just have more health." And uh, I I fought a, a mini boss so many times over the course of three days. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I fought it. I got so frustrated. I put the game down. I went back to it a week later. I did the same thing. Nothing. So I uninstalled it. I'm done. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> that that's my rage quit for sure. Oh, you know maybe most memorable rage quit is a more interesting question then first rage quit yeah uh, maybe 
that was, yeah. You, you know, and, and the funny thing is, too, that a lot of the actual bosses, um, there's a few that I beat on the first time. So it's not even that I felt the game was disproportionately just, you know, super crazy difficult. Uh, but there were just certain things that I, I'm going to say personally, had an issue with. Uh, there was another person, uh, one of my friends, who also got the game around the same time. And so we would talk about it, or we would chat to each other while we were playing. And he didn't have any problem at all taking down like those mini-bosses. And there was multiple of those mini-bosses, whereas I just I had the, the worst time with it. And uh, what, there's, there's one boss that I beat on the first time, like an actual boss, and it took him, you know, like seven or eight times. So I, I don't know. He, he definitely got further in the game than I did. Because like I said, I got to a certain spot and there was a, oh, I'm remembering where I got, there's a bridge, right? And on the bridge, a knight comes out and he, uh, he's bigger and stronger than you. And I fought him a bunch of times and I felt like I was making good progress. I was able to dodge most of the moves, but eventually he'd hit you. And I feel like it was a one or two hit kill like on you. <clears throat> Well, it turns out, I, I didn't know this until at least a year after playing, because I think I watched a speedrunner or something on Twitch. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a mechanic that you were supposed to do, and the game didn't telegraph it enough because I never got it. I never, I never saw it. You're supposed to go uh, the, the bridge. The bridge has one section where it sticks out a little bit on the side, and there's some, some like fences, some you know handrails or whatever. And those handrails break, and you're supposed to knock the knight off the bridge. And I was just fighting him, trying to take his life down, and his life went down really, really slowly. <laughs> so I, I, I feel, had I, you know, figured that out, I probably wouldn't have rage quit. I probably would have kept playing, but I'm not going back to it now. No, you're just like, I'm done. <laughs> I think we all know that feeling when it's just like, uh, I'm done. There's no saving me now. I'd say otherwise, I, I don't really rage quit a lot. Honestly. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen you really lose your temper. Yeah, and and, and, and even so, I, I wasn't like cursing at the TV or anything, so. Compared to me and my anxious temper, which I apologize for so another question that i have also too for you seth is what is what was your very first arcade experience uh let's see uh so th there was a a town that was like 25 minutes away from where i grew up that had a mall and uh there was an arcade in there and so i i don't know that i would remember my first experience there but I definitely played a lot of games in there. Again, it wasn't anything. It wasn't like in my town, so it's not like I could go there. You know, if I just wanted to jump on my bike and ride there. <laughs> but yeah, there was that. Um, something that was close to my house. Honestly, uh, we had a a roller rink. Okay. And okay. and so there were a few arcade games in there, and I'm not going to remember the game. I don't. I can't remember what it's called. But James, you might know what it is. Challenge accepted. I really enjoyed this arcade game. It reminds me of Ice Climbers. All right, okay. you can play. You can play two players, and if I remember correctly, every level is progressing up the screen. Right, you're not going left or right. You're going up. 
Yeah. And uh, and it's it is snow themed. You're going like up a mountain. Hmm. My, I want to say Snow Brothers, but that was a single screen experience. I'm gonna have to turn. I'm gonna have to refer this one to Pembroke. When when you say single screen, I mean it was it was one screen, right? Just two players on the screen. Right. Uh, when I say single screen, I mean one confined space. You're not scrolling in any direction. You know, think like, think oh, like okay. a Pac-Man I, I, or a Cubert. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I'm I'm actually googling for this now. I'm trying to find find out what it was called. I don't know if I'm going to find it, but. Yeah, we'll have to add that. If uh, Pembroke can't figure it out, we'll have to add that to the list of games we need to identify because I detailed on the first podcast my own personal bugaboo. Yeah, we never did figure out what that was. No. And while you're Googling, I'm going to ask you a sillier question. What was your first geek crush on a digital character? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, Seth is more mature than Chrissy or I. Yeah, pretty much. I I'm just I'm like running just through my head on on characters I can even think of. I go back to uh, to to Zelda a lot. I, you know, I have to say Zelda from uh, from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that was a good rendering of her. <clears throat> Maybe Saria. Oh, the the Sage of the Wood. Yep. Okay. Okay, I can see those definitely, and those are good choices. They are. All right. Let's see. What is what was your favorite console to play on? Um. Explain the question a little better. So, your like video game console, you know. Yeah. Like if you oh. if you were told you were only allowed one video game console, just one, what would it be? Uh well, I mean, if I'm only allowed one console, then I'm gonna have to say probably the PlayStation Five. But I don't know if I would also categorize it so far as my fir- my favorite console. Yeah. Um. Right. But but if I'm only allowed one, I'm gonna pick you know the newest and what I consider the best, I guess. I will say that I I really liked the N64. It had a lot of great games on it. It had a lot of party experiences. Oh yes. Indeed. There's I mean there's just a lot of games on there that uh that I I look back fondly on. <clears throat> Although I don't know how well they hold up though to today's uh sort of gameplay. I haven't played GoldenEye. Um, in a very long time, and I know, right? Goldeneye it, it does not play like a, uh, a traditional shooter of today, right? You have to, um, you, you the, the aiming is all different, right? You know, you didn't have the twin stick on the the N sixty four. No odd job, right? So, no so you, you know, you, you know why odd job's so terrible, right? Because he's tiny. Yeah, but but the reason. I mean, like, if you had a tiny character today, the tiny character is still going to be harder to hit, but it wouldn't be so bad. But back on the N64, what you would do, right, 
is you would position your cursor about at head head level, right? And all the other characters' head level was at the same spot. So when you just you know turn around a corner, your cursor's already there, your crosshairs are already there, and you can just fire. Um, you might have to adjust a little bit, but your your minor adjustment's not too bad. Whereas he's right half the height of everyone else running around, and you don't want to be shooting other people in the feet. Okay, that's fair. So what what uh, what are, what are some of the games you're playing right now? <clears throat> um. <laughs> Well, what I was playing right before this was Minecraft. I, pl- I play a lot of Minecraft. Uh, I really enjoy that game, but I haven't played it without mods for, I don't know, six years, more, probably more, honestly more. Both both my wife and I, we, we usually start a server and play together on a world until we get bored of it. That game is always changing because of the mods not necessarily like the game could still be the same game it it was from years ago and uh the mods really change it and really do all sorts of different things in it outside of that i am playing through ghost of tsushima Uh, how do you like that so so that was a ps4 game and i have a ps4 but i had the original ps4 not the ps4 pro and i will tell you i i could tell the the newer games did not play as well as as they probably should have on the PlayStation. And so there were a lot of games that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to wait until I get the PS5 because I knew the PS5 was going to be PS4 backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of stuff has been upscaled for the PS5. So uh, it it runs at 60 frames per second, which uh, it, it was only 30 on the PS4. Uh, I like the game a lot. Uh, I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's an open world experience. You don't have to go everywhere and do everything, but I like to go everywhere and do everything. I'm playing on the hard difficulty in the beginning when I started. Again, this game has a lot of parrying to it. Mm-hmm. You can get a, you can get around it, but I died a lot. But the way that <laughs> the way that it works is uh, you don't reload a save. It just puts you right before the combat encounter, so it's not super punishing. You might have to do the combat encounter over again, but that's fine. The combat's fun. Now, after playing the game for a handful of hours, uh, the combat's not that difficult anymore. Even when you get overwhelmed by enemies, and the higher level you get, the more tools you get, such as smoke bombs or whatever. Uh, so uh, I think it's a good game. I'll probably be picking up uh, Mass Effect Legendary at some point. Okay. It's been, it's been a long time since I played Mass Effect, and it's it's so funny. I own Mass Effect, I own all of them on the computer, but I've only ever played the first one. Isn't that how it goes? Maybe I'll play through them, uh, and then again, maybe I'll play through the first one and stop again. Uh, that, right with that game, your choices from the first one sort of matter throughout the rest of the, the games. And uh, so when I played it originally on the Xbox 360, Mass Effect 2 came out, and I think I ended up picking it up on the computer. And I decided I was going to replay the first one so that I could continue the save file into 2. And Mm -hmm. I I never ended up finishing the first one again. And then years later, I started playing the first one, and I stopped again probably halfway through it. So when I pick up Legendary, (laughs) maybe I'll go through the whole thing. 
Maybe I'll stop halfway through the first game. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds like me with some games. It's like, oh, um, I'll probably continue on, and it's like halfway through. I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm, I got, I'm distracted. But I, I have, I have like handfuls of games that I haven't played that I own because I wanted to play, but I never got to them. Like going back to, I think the PS3, I got uh, the like I, I was buying all the Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> but I haven't played all of them, right? I played the first one. I really liked the first Assassin's Creed game. I played the second one. I really liked the second one. And then they came out with three games, right, that came after two. It was, um, like, Brotherhood, Revelation, and something else. Uh, Syndicate, I think. I think Syndicate. Yeah, yeah. I think you might be right there. Um, I played the first one. I liked it. I got halfway through the second one. I never played that third one. And by the time I had gotten through that, that second of the, the, the two era where you're playing SEO, mm -hmm. three had come out. I think four Black Flag had come out. I don't know. Maybe something else had come out. I own three. It's like in its plastic wrap still on my shelf. I'm, I'll probably never open it. That happens a lot to me, especially games that have like a series. Um, mm -hmm. I, I hate playing. If, if a game is titled two, I don't want to play it without playing the first one. So because of that, right, I haven't played the newest uh, God of War, which I hear is amazing, because I haven't beaten all the ones before it. So it's a it's a problem I have. That's a problem a lot of people have. Yeah, but I, I'm definitely a victim of that, too. I want to play Lufia 2, um, Rise of the Sinistrals, and they're just like, yeah, you could play 2, you don't have to play Luthia 1. I'm like, no, I have to play and beat Luthia 1 before I go on the next one. It's, it's I have that problem, too. It's like, if they're, if it's a 2, I gotta play 1. Now, I only have that problem if, uh, if the story somehow continues, right? If it mm -hmm. takes place in the same universe. So, like, with Final Fantasy, I don't have that problem at all, right? Oh, yeah. I can, I can totally skip a game I mean, I'm not going to skip the next one because it looks really cool, but uh, I could skip it and play the one after that if I really wanted to. Now, I'm going to actually put the onus on Chrissy for a second here. This is oh, completely boy. unrehearsed and unprepared. And hopefully she doesn't smack me for this. I know where you live. <laughs> yeah. If you could recommend a game to Seth, Chrissy, what would it be? Breath of the Wild. He's a Zelda fan. How could I uh, not pick Breath of the Wild. Okay, so so let's uh, let's continue this game, and you have to recommend a game that I haven't played. So I played oh. that one. <laughs> oh, you have played that one? Yes. Have you played any of the Mana series? Um, y you know, I I have, but I didn't play it very much. Um, I I do like those style of games. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it just comes down to how much time I have and how many games I have to play that I haven't played or that I want to play. Yeah, if you want a, actually a really quick game that um, you could play and it's pretty quick is um, and you like if you're into like old like Nintendo style games, Kickle Cubicle is a, actually a good one where you can where when you're done where you actually if you don't want to you don't have to play the game in one sitting. It actually has a password system that's only four characters long. Versus, <laughs> you know how in the old days it would be like 18 characters, you had to break out the notebook and you had to try to like write it all down. 
Yeah. Or God help you, Mega Man's old password system. Very counterintuitive. I would say probably, um, just because I'm more of a retro gamer out of everybody, um, Kickle Cubicle is a good one. If you haven't played it, it's part of the Mana series, but it never was. It just recently got released into um, kind of into the North American region is a Trials of Mana, where you pick your team and you, there's like 16 different combinations of teams you can have. And they all give you a different story. So, so tr- Trials of Mana, uh, didn't it just recently release a, uh, a remaster? So it actually had initially come out back, I think, in the 90s. And they put out the collection of Mana, which has the original game um, in English. And then it was like after it was like a year or two after they put out the collection, they did the remaster of it where they upgraded the graphics, but it's still kind of the same storyline. The graphics are really cool in the remaster. I, I do like them, but I kind of prefer the older game, the original, just because it, it feels more like a mana game to, to me. Hmm. And I, I kind of like the retro styles a okay, little bit. Okay. How about you, James? Well, I was thinking, uh, Seth, have you ever played any games in the Torchlight series? I, I have, and and I think I think they're all right. With that being said, I would rather play like Diablo. That's fair. That is fair. I'm, uh, you know, partially excited, but also not for the new Diablo Four. <laughs> whenever that comes out, just because I want more Diablo, and I, I will go back and play Diablo Three every uh, every so often. You know, they do the um, the seasons, right. Um, so I'll go back and I'll create a new character and play through the season. You know, I, I not every one, but every every couple years or something, I'll go back and do that. I think it's a lot of fun. I, I started trying to play Path of Exile. Have you played that one? I have not. So Path of Exile is a free-to-play Diablo-like game. It is very complicated. You almost have to use a guide in order to build your character because the uh, the skill tree is so large and you can't reset it. So if you get to the end of the game and you just built your skills in a terrible fashion, uh, you won't be able to do the end game content. Uh, well, but I haven't ever gotten that far. <laughs> hmm. Again, they do they do seasons, and uh, I will play a season. And I'll play it for like a weekend, and I'll I'll always get about to the same point, which is about level forty. And then for whatever reason, the next day I do something different. <laughs> so it's a it's an okay game. Uh, still not like Diablo for me though. Okay. You, and, you know, uh... since since we're talking of games to recommend, uh, I recommend this game to no one. But I thought it was so much fun. Quest sixty four. Since we're talking old old games. Ooh. I haven't thought about that game in forever. Right? Um, I don't. I don't know why it popped in my head, but we were talking about the the N sixty four games that I I don't know if it would. Uh, I don't know if it would live up to you know today's standards of how you play a game. But I remember that game uh, very fondly. It had what felt like an open world. At, at the time when games didn't have open worlds, um, it probably was just, you know, long 
corridors of being outside. Again, I don't fully remember, but it had uh, had you know turn-based combat, ways to utilize interesting magic spells. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, it just popped in my head. Oh, I I think that just about covers all the ground I wanted to. Uh, Chrissy, did you have any questions yeah. left? No, I don't really have anything um, I'm new or to add to that. Um, this was actually kind of fun, getting some new and different ideas um, on things. So this is awesome. Woohoo! So ladies and gentlemen, this is the wonderful and amazing Seth Coast. Yay! One of our irregulars here at Gaming Street Irregulars. Thanks for having me. Thank you, and uh, when we return uh, from our break, we will uh, have Today in Gaming History, we will have our contact information, and everything else. Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a non-profit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar... You will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc dot org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc.org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool, and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking, that's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind, so if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Welcome back, and now for Today in Gaming History, going way back to 1986. This actually kind of ties in with uh, one of the first games we talked about, Seth, when we, you were talking about your experiences on the NES. There was the Japanese Famicom Disk System release of Super Mario Bros. 2, not the one we got here, but the one we know as the Lost Levels. Ooh. Speaking of games, I imagine a lot of people rage quit. Good grief. Yeah, it was supposed it was a much 
much harder game. But it was fine. But it was harder. My first rage quit is still always be Dragon's Lair. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't. My first experience with the lost levels, like a lot of people's, would have been through Super Mario All Stars, and even mm-hmm. that was less difficult because the graphic difference between the poison mushroom in the Super Nintendo version much more pronounced than in the Famicom mm. System version. I mean, you could barely tell the difference if you weren't paying close attention. I understand. So there's one last thing to do, and that's quickly mention Flower City Comic Con, which we are still scheduled at this time to have on September 25th and 26th. Of course, we are going to be in compliance with all COVID regulations, everything that is currently recommended by the CDC in New York State for safety. Guest experiences are paramount, but... If you feel up to joining us, we will be at the Total Sports Experience in Gates. It's free parking. It's right on a bus route. And if you make it up, if it still happens, we'd love to see you. And on that note, I'm James Irish. I'm Chrissy Harding. And on behalf of everyone here, including Seth, we wish you all a great a great day. And as always, game on. Bye, everyone. <laughs>